Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we celebrate the nation of Israel's anniversary, and we take a look at God's panorama of creation with Dr. Carl Baugh. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Watchmen on the Wall is beginning its 90th year of ministry. This program is heard each weekday on almost 600 radio signals. New resources, books, and DVDs are being produced. All of this ministry is possible because of you. Your prayers and financial gifts allow us to come to you each day. Thank you for your continued support. If you'd like to show your support today, would you please call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can give online, swrc.com. Dr. Carl Baugh is the founder and director of Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas, and is internationally known as a minister and special creation speaker. He holds a master's degree in archaeology and a Ph.D. in education. Dr. Baugh is with us today to explore God's panorama of creation. The Bible says in Genesis 2-5, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. Then the Bible continues in Genesis 2-6, But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. The clear teaching of the Word of God is, is that the earth was different before the flood of Noah. Joining me to talk about the conditions on earth before the flood is Dr. Carl Baugh. Dr. Baugh is the founder and director of the Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas. He is the scientific research director of the world's first hyperbaric biosphere, which simulates Earth's atmospheric conditions before the flood of Noah. Dr. Ball is here to talk with me about the world before the flood and share an update on the biosphere. Dr. Ball, thanks for joining me today. James, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I've been on Southwest Radio Ministries many, many times on the board for almost 30 years. I'm retired from the board, but I'm not retired. There's no place to quit. And I'm pleased we're going to talk about the pre-flood conditions. We know from Scripture a number of things, and we know from attendant scientific research a number of additional things. For instance, the world was divided in the days of Peleg, and the original Hebrew word there indicates clearly divided by streaming. So that means the Earth's diameter had to expand, and that also means water had to be involved. And we know there was a worldwide flood. When you put those factors together, the enlargement of the diameter of the earth, then in order to understand what it was like before the flood, we have to essentially shrink it back at least 5%. And when we do that, James, we have an astounding thing happen. The additional atmospheric pressure that is now 14.7 pounds per square inch at sea level is actually increased simply due to the additional gravitational attraction. And that means that we had about 24 pounds per square inch rather than 14.7 pounds per square inch at sea level of atmospheric pressure. That would do incredible things. Around 22 PSI pounds per square inch of atmospheric pressure under 
sufficient oxygen, the entire blood plasma begins to saturate with oxygen. And that solves major, major problems. You see, I dig dinosaurs, I'm sure you know. Yes, uh, 19 so far and counting, and it's very exciting. Dinosaurs are found in the Bible in Job chapter 40. And dinosaurs with their huge, huge size, like Saul Poseidon Protellus was the tallest of all the dinosaurs, with his head reaching at least 65 feet in the air. Some indications lead us to believe that maybe 70 feet in the air. Well, how do you get the internal oxygen supplied to the deep cell tissue? Well, you can't under 14.7 PSI. But as you approach 22 PSI, the entire blood plasma becomes saturated with oxygen, and that solves the problem of the dinosaurs. That also solves one of the problems of longevity. You see, under those conditions, the body would tend to heal itself much faster. Nutrient supply would be much more effective, and that gives us a handle on the conditions that provided long live specimens like Adam, like Noah, like Methuselah. And now we have a credibility factor labeled to the Bible. Now, we know that the Bible works. We know that the gospel works. We know that the transformation because of receiving Jesus Christ and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we know that the transformation of hope and peace is real because we've experienced it as believers. But the unsaved world, the current secular world, needs some credibility to even listen to the Bible. So here we have a marvelous credibility factor. The world before the flood was luxuriant, and it would tend to produce long-lived specimens. So how luxuriant? Well, today we have a club moss, standard lycopsid club moss, and it grows to about 18, maybe 20 inches in height. That's the best we can do. But in the world before the flood, as evidenced by the fossil record, in that fossil record indicating the life before the flood, this same specimen grew to be 120 feet tall, from 18 inches to 120 feet in stature. And that would indicate that we had a greater amount of carbon dioxide ratio. It is now 0.03%. We would run that up to at least tenfold because of the luxuriant fossil vegetation we find. And that would mean that we would have 0.3% carbon dioxide, which could explain the long live specimens. Now, James, that leads us to our current research. We're building the world's first hyperbaric biosphere. I hold three patents on it, and we have run for the last almost 20 years advanced research. At this moment, I have three credentialed engineers completing the biosphere. We've completed the prototype at this very moment at the Creation Evidence Museum. Downstairs, three certified engineers are working on the biosphere to get all the little factors ready so we can pressurize it and then in a few months populate it with plants, animals, insects, etc. Our advanced research indicates 
that even snake venom is changed at the molecular level. Enzymes are changed. What is now a toxin potentially could become a serum. We have actually run experiments in the biosphere to indicate that. To bring this up to date, I read just morning a release from the secular press that one of our problems with COVID is that there's the generation of an enzyme quite common to rattlesnake enzymes and proteins. Well, in the biosphere, in our advanced studies over the last 15 years, we have actually placed rattlesnakes in the prototype, and we have seen their entire structure of the venom, the proteins of the venom, completely change so that potentially it is a serum, which means that Hopefully, this creation science will offer some benefit to a hurting world at this present time. That's amazing, Dr. Ball. I want to read a verse from Genesis 1-7. There the Bible says, And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. So we know that the earth was encased, as you mentioned, in a canopy that affected the conditions on the planet before Noah's flood. Do the conditions of the pre-flood world with the canopy above the earth and water under the ground help to explain the mechanisms of Noah's flood? You're on the right track. Now, we know there's water above. In fact, in deepest space, the signature of water has been detected by NASA and other, the European Space Agency. So we know there's water out in deep space, there's water throughout the solar system that is detectable. I don't mean gushing reservoirs of water. Those reservoirs of water are inside the Earth itself. So we know inside the Earth there were the fountains of the great deep. We know on the Earth there is humidity. So we certainly have waters, plural, under the firmament, and we have waters, plural, above the firmament, just like the scriptures stated. Now, the word for that firmament is translated properly in the King James. Most of the other translations do not translate it properly. They translate expanse or space itself. And while certainly space or dimension was involved and expanse was involved, that's not what the Hebrew word for that firmament means. The King James translates it correctly. It is a firmament. The Hebrew is rakia. That word means to compress, pound together, and stretch out in dimensions this arch of heaven in thin crystalline or metal sheets. Now, by metal, we're not talking about steel or copper, as the Greeks and others, Babylonians, had envisioned. We're talking about a crystalline lattice. And our research here at the Creation Evidence Museum has indicated that it was probably sugilite. We have Ph.D. geophysicists and chemical physicists involved in this research. And while we don't know the specific chemical crystalline formula, we do know the characteristics. So that's what you ask. In brief, if that permanent were in place, if that crystalline, very thin crystalline structure were in place today, it would filter out much of the small radiation the ultraviolet radiation, which has a small, narrow wave band. It would filter much of that out. 
And it is the ultraviolet radiation that generates free radicals that are absorbed by plants, by animals. The University of Southern California published some years ago that every cell in the human body is assaulted at least 10,000 times per day by free radicals that have been generated by the ultraviolet radiation coming in from outer space. So that would be eliminated. But that would also research by Dr. Edward Boudreaux, working for us here at the Creation Evidence Museum, has indicated that if you filter much of the ultraviolet radiation, the very thin, very narrow wavelength radiation out, then you generate far less carbon-14. Carbon-14 is generated artificially as nitrogen-14 in the upper atmosphere is struck by the ultraviolet radiation stripped of an electron, and it is converted almost instantaneously to carbon-14. So you have less carbon-14 in the pre-flood world. And James, what that means is that the indications of long-life in specimens, since they have very little carbon-14, the long age of those is just crossed out completely, meaning that everything refers back to a few thousand years in its record, even with carbon-14 and radiometric dating. And this solves major, major problems. Mm -hmm. You see, unfortunately, our generation of young people, our generation of adults, have all been programmed to think we have hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of years in Earth history. We don't have hundreds of thousands. We don't have millions. We don't have billions of years in Earth history. Actually, at major university laboratories, carbon-14 has been discovered in diamonds that are supposed to be two and a half billion years old. What's carbon-14 doing there? It would have lost its half-life long, long years ago, certainly within 70,000 years. The half-life, every 5,730 years, half of the carbon-14 is gone. So all of this really indicates that when you follow the creation model, you get a recent creation just like the Bible has been stating all along. You get a recent creation that means it had to be designed and created. There is no potential for evolution to have produced. There's not a potential anyway. But if you remove the time factor, there is certainly no envisioned potential for evolution to produce the living systems as we know it and the environment as we know it. So, James, we're back to trusting the old King James Bible that our grandmother trusted that is the preserved Word of God in the English language. My guest on The Watchman on the Wall today is Dr. Carl Baugh. We are offering Dr. Baugh's newly updated book, Panorama of Creation. The book has been updated to include a brand new chapter about dinosaurs, and you can get a copy of the book right now by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. This is an excellent study of biblical creationism. You need this book for your library, or you could give it as a gift. Get a copy for your pastor. And get the new edition right now of Panorama of Creation by calling 1-800-652-1144. Or again, you can order online 
at swrc.com. Dr. Ball, I want to ask you about the days of creation. Now, you and I believe in six literal days of creation, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. The word for day used in Genesis 1 is yom, Y-O-M, in the Hebrew and the English equivalent. It can mean extended periods of times, like the day of the Lord that is coming. But when it has the ordinal, a number in front of it, it always, in classical Hebrew and in biblical Hebrew, it always means a literal solar day, a 24-hour day. And so the days of creation had to be literal days, number one, because of the use of the word in Scripture. Jesus himself verified the days of creation. He verified Adam and Eve. And if Jesus was wrong, we really are in trouble. Jesus verified the literal days of creation. They had to be literal days of creation. I'll just give one illustration. On day number three, God created the first plants. But it was not until day number four that God coalesced the light that he created on day number one into star bodies to shine directly upon the earth to keep those living plants going. And those plants depend completely upon the starlight, and then for their procreation, they depend on other plants and animals and insects for procreation, like the bees. Well, the bees were not created until day number five. So if those were long periods of time, the plants would have died out in a very short order, and other systems would have disappeared in very short order. So it all has to work together, or none of it will work at all. So again, we are back to recognizing that the Bible, in a literal interpretation, is absolute truth. Dr. Ball, if someone wanted to visit the Creation Evidence Museum or find out more information, how would they do so? Log on to our website, creationevidence.org, and you can get the details. I was blessed to write the foreword for this new edition of Panorama of Creation. Your ministry has blessed me and opened my eyes to how creationism makes sense, so I want you to know again how much I personally appreciate you. Thank you for being faithful to God's call, and thank you for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to be with you again on Southwest Radio Ministries. God bless you. The battle lines have been drawn. Mankind's greatest battle, creation versus evolution, is before us. Man's rebellious nature has perpetrated the greatest lie in history. Evolution asks us to believe the unbelievable, while creation is portrayed as a myth. Dr. Carl Baugh, in his best-selling book, Panorama of Creation, scientifically proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that special creation is the only scientific explanation for man's existence on this planet. This updated edition includes a new chapter that details how dinosaurs were a vital part of God's creation and examines what the Jurassic Park movie series got right and wrong. Order your copy of Panorama of Creation today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. And if you're able, think about ordering copies of Panorama of Creation for your grandkids, your Sunday school class, your family. 
1-800-652-1144. Pastor Larry Spargimino and James Collins come now to celebrate the Nation of Israel's anniversary. Tomorrow is the 74th anniversary of the reestablishment of the State of Israel, which occurred on May the 14th, 1948. Friends, did you know the Bible prophesied that the Jewish people would reestablish the nation of Israel in one day? It's true. In Isaiah 66, 8, the Bible says, Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. This prophecy was fulfilled on May 14, 1948. After being scattered from their land for almost 2,000 years, the Jewish people came back to their homeland and reestablished the nation of Israel. Something like that has never happened before in the history of the planet. No other people have lost their nation, have been scattered over the earth, and suddenly been restored and come back into their own homeland and created a new nation. It has just never happened before. After World War I, the British were entrusted with Palestine as a League of Nations mandate. They immediately issued the Balfour Declaration in which they promised to prepare the way for the creation of a Jewish state in Palestine. However, after World War II, the British got caught in the crossfire between the Jews and the Arabs as each tried to gain control of Palestine. As British troop casualties rose, public opinion began to demand a British withdrawal. The British Prime Minister, Clement Attlee, finally decided to ask the United Nations to intervene, and on November the 29th, 1947, the United Nations voted to allow the creation of a Jewish state. The United States supported that resolution. The British immediately announced that they would withdraw from Palestine on May the 15th of the following year. The rapid pace of these events caught everyone off guard, including officials within the Truman administration. In the winter of 1947-1948, those within the Truman administration who opposed the creation of a Jewish state began to pressure the president. This included the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Defense Department, and the State Department. They all began to argue that it would be a diplomatic disaster for the United States to continue with its support of the creation of a Jewish state. They argued that it would jeopardize United States access to Arab oil. They told the president that supporting Israel would cause him to lose re-election. The leader of this opposition was Secretary of State George Marshall, a man whom President Truman greatly admired. Now, I believe that President Truman had been uniquely prepared by God to make the decision to support the Jewish state. I believe this for four reasons. First of all, Truman had always been a reader of history, and he was thoroughly familiar with Jewish history and their rightful claim to this land. Secondly, he had been raised in the Baptist church and was thoroughly familiar with the Bible and the spiritual claim of the Jews that they have on this land. Third, his best friend throughout his lifetime had been a Jew by the name of Eddie Jacobson. The two of them owned a clothing store before Truman entered politics, and throughout his political career, the two remained the closest of friends. Fourth, Truman's closest advisor as president was a man named Clark Clifford, 
and Mr. Clifford was a strong supporter of Israeli independence. But folks, the problem was that Clifford was the only person in the Truman administration who favored the creation of the Jewish state. On May the 12th, two days before the British deadline, Secretary of State Marshall and his staff met with the president and his staff when Clark Clifford presented a strong historical and biblical case for the recognition of Israel, General Marshall became so enraged that he proclaimed, Mr. President, if you recognize Israel, I will vote for your opponent in the November election. Needless to say, every person present, including the president, was stunned. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, the president's old friend, Eddie Jacobson, decided to take action. He went to Washington, D.C. and met with Truman, and he told the president, I have never asked anything of you since you became president, but I'm going to do so now. I believe that when you were in your father's loins, God ordained you for this moment. He then strongly urged the president to recognize Israel when the Declaration of Independence was read. Well, as you can see, the pressure on Truman from all sides was overwhelming. It is said that Truman prayed about his decision for several days. On May 14, 1948, when Israel declared itself to be an independent nation, President Truman went against the counsel of his advisors. Eleven minutes after the Israeli Declaration of Independence became official at midnight on May 14, 1948, Truman issued a statement recognizing the new state. President Truman proceeded into the presidential election of 1948 with no hope of winning. His popularity rating was at an all-time low, and his opponent, Governor Dewey of New York, was an articulate candidate who was well-organized and well-financed. Additionally, President Truman's party was split three ways. Strom Thurmond ran as a Dixocrat, and former Vice President Henry Wallace ran as a socialist as the candidate of the Progressive Party. On Election Day, many newspapers went ahead and printed headlines proclaiming Dewey's victory. But incredibly, Truman was re-elected. How can that be explained? Well, I can think of only one explanation. The Bible says that God will bless those who bless Israel, and he will curse those who curse Israel. President Truman had been a blessing to Israel, and God returned the blessing to him. As we commemorate the 74th anniversary of its refounding, the nation of Israel is seeing an increase in terrorist attacks. The situation for the tiny nation, a nation about the same size as the state of New Jersey, the situation looks hopeless. Israel is surrounded by 200 million hostile Arabs who are more determined than ever to annihilate the state. The whole world, the United States, the United Nations, the European Union, the Vatican, are all pressuring Israel to surrender its heartland to its enemy. And the Jewish people and their leaders have become war-weary to the point that they have adopted a policy of appeasement that serves only to whet the appetite of their enemies. So, is there any hope whatsoever for the survival of Israel? On May 15, 1948, the day after the nation was reestablished, five Arab nations attacked Israel. From then until today, Israel has had to fight war after war and endure terrorist attack after terrorist attack. Incredibly, Israel has withstood the onslaught because Israel's fate is not in the hands of its enemies. Israel's fate is in the hands of God Almighty. 
But there will not be peace in Israel until Christ returns and rules the world from David's throne in Jerusalem. So we say, Maranatha, O Lord, come, and come quickly, Lord Jesus. Order your copy of Panorama of Creation by Dr. Carl Baugh when you call 1-800-652-1144. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.